0: Hello and welcome to What a Scream, the horror movie podcast, where I your host, Grain, chats with a special guest every week about horror films and in particular we choose two films that have to do with a certain subject or topic that I have re- recent, recently that I have randomly chosen. Um, this week is da, 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 the 100th main podcast episode. Um, that is pretty wild to me that somehow I have managed to go this long. <laughs> I haven't lost interest. Um, yes, it's amazing. a hundred episodes. Um, the the theme this week is uh, the horror icon that is Clive Barker. And-
1: we have such sights to show you.
0: I would like to welcome back to the podcast our literary expert Elaine Pascal. Elaine, how are you? It's been a while.
1: I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you.
0: Slightly cold because it's freezing here in Ireland.
1: Oh well, I'm not going to tell you how warm it is here. Oh. <laughs> it's so hot and wonderful.
0: Um. So, what have you been reading recently?
1: Well, I. Been doing some reviews and I'm going to be leading a panel for Asian women horror writers um, who collaborated on a book called Unquiet Spirits and it's about ghosts in Asian culture and they're telling like real stories from their families and experiences with ghosts. It's really Unquiet Spirits I recommend. It's a, it's a lovely gothic true account of ghosts in Asian culture.
0: Oh my god, that sounds fascinating and like right up my alley as well. Mm-hmm.
1: You would enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Okay, I am definitely going to keep an eye out for that then. Um, so this week's theme is all about a particular author, um, Mr. Clive Barker. So what what is your what is your relationship like with Clive Barker? Are you a fan of his work?
1: Oh, can I tell, Can I begin with a story? And it does actually connect. There is a connection to it. <laughs> it goes somewhere. Um, so growing up, my parents let me read whatever I wanted to read. I was very fortunate in that. So I was reading Stephen King when I was in third grade. Um, and you probably don't remember this because you're a lot younger than I am. But at one point, Stephen King had this famous quote where he said, I've seen the future of horror and his name is Clive Barker. So I thought, oh, I have to read Clive Barker. And we're talking on maybe 12, 13. Um, and it was like going from classic rock to punk rock. I didn't know that horror could be like this, it, it, was, it was different than anything I'd ever experienced. I became enamored with Clive Barker, I loved him. He was my hero as a writer. Um, when I was about 18, this is like 1990, Clyde Barker did a book tour with The Great and Secret Show, and I was in Boston going to college, and he was doing a book signing near me. So, of course, I'm out of my mind. I'm going to meet Clive Barker. And accompanying me was my friend, John, and I'm changing names because I'm no longer in touch with him, and I don't know if he would approve of this story, so let's <laughs> John. Um, John made me look like I didn't even like Clive Barker. He was a super, 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 super fan. And sometimes when I would go out with John, he would show up as John. And other times he would show up as Susan. And the 1990s, early 1990 was not the most, um friendly time to be playing with gender. There wasn't, you know, you didn't go on Amazon and order pretty outfits and things. You had to go with what was in the thrift stores and whatever. So John always kind of looked a fright. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a good, he wasn't good at this yet, but it was fine. I, you know, I love going out with John. I love going out with Susan. It didn't matter which one of them showed up. So this particular day, we're getting ready to go see Barker and I. I'm 18. I'm as cute as I could be. And yes, I know Clyde Barker's gay. I don't know if I knew it then, but I'm kind of catnip for gay guys anyway. So I'm like, maybe, you know, whatever. I'm as cute, cute, cute as can be. And John shows up as Susan looking a fright, looking like Peter Griffin on Family Guy dressed as a woman. Like it looks like he has a mop on his head. It's Instead of a wig, it is a mess, hot, hot, hot mess. So we get there, Clyde Barker, gorgeous, gracious, lovely, chats with me a little bit. He likes my name, whatever. He loves Susan, can't get enough of Susan. So I realized I really wasn't understanding what Clyde Barker was laying down. And now that we go back and watch Hellraiser, I realize, yeah. I really wasn't picking up. Like when I went back and reread Howlbound Heart and reread Books of Blood, I realized I missed a lot at 13 and 14 that I'm picking up now as an adult. You know, it was just, it was out of my league a little bit. Now I'm all caught up though, Clive. I'm ready for you. I'm, if we meet again, I'm ready. <laughs>
0: You're like, I'm prepared this time. <laughs> I'm prepared um i don't have much of a connection or a relationship with clive barker the author i got into the comic book series of Nightbreed when i was um a teenager because my dad had them mm-hmm. um and that was it and then it was only a couple of years ago i watched hellraiser like i'd always known about him known about his books but I've never and it was only like after watching Hellraiser and people saying you should really read his books that I started to read them. But Mm. this is gonna be really controversial but I still like I understand he's really good and for what you know he's represented, but I still Mm -hmm. don't get the buzz about him. Okay. (laughs) Controversial opinion.
1: Yeah, you and I will be of opposite sides then of (laughs) Clive Marker because I adore him.
0: um so let's begin with the first film then would you like to introduce it and give a synopsis please No.
1: these represent missing people for the last three years the only way to
0: make it stop i followed them into the subway he butchers them like cattle they never find the remains because he unloads the meat somewhere
1: just to go for the ride i got a
0: train to catch
1: I, yes, my film is the 2008 Midnight Meat Train, which was based on a short story in Clyde Barker's Books of Blood, Volume 1, which was published in 1984. And it stars Bradley Cooper, Leslie Bibb, Brooke Shields, Vinnie Jones, and the re- director is Rahe Kitamura. Um, and it is about a photographer named Leon, who is sort of a woke individual for 2008. And he wants to capture gritty urban scenes in his photography. He's been encouraged to do that for his career. So he's hanging around a subway and the director's obviously Japanese because the subway is pristine. There's no graffiti. There is a schedule and the train show up on time. It's like nothing you've ever seen in the United States. Um so it's it's actually as horrible as the things are that go on in and below the subway system. Um I would rather ride it than any subway in New York or Boston or Philadelphia because it actually trains to show up. And um I don't know about you but I love this film visually. It looks like a video game. It it gets a little cheesy sometimes with the graphics, but I just love the way it looks.
0: Yeah, I I just couldn't get over how cheesy it was and like I, I think I've seen this before, but I kind of pushed it to the back of my mind and I think it's always yeah. been like a running joke because like Vinnie Jones, obviously he's like a British footballer, turned mm-hmm. well, tried to turn actor, so it was always pretty funny and a bit of a joke. Um and I just I couldn't get over how badly acted it was by Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. I just thought he he did not do well in this at all.
1: Well, I'm not a Bradley Cooper fan at all. Um, but, and I sort of felt like the character was so, like, not even important. I know he's the main character, but you could have put Jake Gyllenhaal in there. You could have put some sort of Ryan, you know, some Hemsworth, whatever, whatever your flavor of the month is. You could put anybody in there and it would have been the same movie. I don't think Bradley Cooper brought anything to the table. Um, but I'm not a big fan of his to begin with. I actually liked Vinnie Jones and thought, I liked the look. I thought there was something really militaristic, nazi almost looking about mahogany, about the butcher, that I really liked and thought was kind of a cool... Aspect of it. And I just, I love the train and how, like, when you're going down the escalator to the subway, it looks alien. It looks foreign. It looks like you're, even though, like I said, it's pristine and beautiful, it looks like a place where you're not supposed to be.
0: Yeah. So the whole thing is that Brandy Cooper's character finds out that people are going missing on this late train and he's following Vinnie Cooper's character around who by day is a butcher um, in like a meat packaging kind of place. Um, and he discovers this secret that he's killing people to sacrifice to this underground, um, ancient beings that feed off human flesh and kind of keep the whole city running. Um, it's I, I think I did read the story, Mm-hmm. But it didn't really stick in my head all that much,
1: unfortunately. It's the movie is the story. It's a loving, you know, it's, it's, it is the story. They don't deviate from it. Mm-hmm. But Clark Barker was a producer on this. So I think he really had his hands in it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, the only other thing that kind of bothered me was, like, how 2000s the gore was. It was all very, like... Mm-hmm. computer animated it wasn't really practical effects or anything um but yeah i mean it's a it's a fun it's an okay movie i kind of laughed this is a really terrible bit to laugh at but you know where so his girlfriend mm-hmm. gets really annoyed by him becoming so obsessed with this mm-hmm. and she's like take photos of me and she like takes mm-hmm. her top off and they're both sobbing at each other mm-hmm. i know it was meant to be like a really heartfelt moment but it was just really cringe yeah, for me didn't really
1: come across. it didn't come across for me either i was just kind of annoyed by it when
0: that happened. So what did you think was like the subtext behind the film? What do you think the whole tale is about basically?
1: Well, it's urban horror, which, which Barker likes to dabble in. We know that from Candyman. That's, you know, that's, that's one of his playgrounds. Um, You know, I sort of see it as Leon being just, I mean, in the end, obviously he becomes a new butcher, but, He's so moralistic in the beginning. Oh, I'm a vegetarian. I'm an artiste. I'm this, I'm that. You know, I rescue damsels in distress in the in the subway. But he's really not a good guy. Like, he takes people's pictures without their consent, which is kind of like treating them like meat, just like a butcher would. Um, and we see as the film goes on and he becomes more and more obsessed with mahogany with the butcher, he, um, you know, he starts eating meat. He, start, he becomes aggressive with the girlfriend when they're having sex he he's not a good guy and he kind of gets sucked into that world and i think it's sort of saying like you know human yeah these reptilian uh creatures are, are horrible and scary and the butcher's horrible and scary as a killer but humans easily turn into that it doesn't take much to prod them in that direction
0: yeah and i guess a really good demonstration of that is like the fact that he goes to the police and the police are basically like, leave it, just forget mm-hmm. about it. And it turns out that they're kind of in on it as well. Mm-hmm. That they're all privy to the, like this, the underground reptile people. Um, and yeah, it just feels that like this kind of evil is insidious and kind of runs deep mm-hmm. um, within people and society and communities as well. Um, so. Yeah, it
1: definitely ties in with a lot of our conspiracy theories about like lizard yeah. people, or, you know, like <laughs> aliens—that kind of a thing.
0: Yeah, Clive Barker was the original uh, lizard people <laughs> conspirator. <laughs> um, so, do you think that perhaps this film, because we've seen, you know, a recent Clive Barker adaptation? or readaptation, reboot, there we go. That's the right word. Do you think this film could be rebooted?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. Because, again, I, I really enjoy this film visually, and I don't need to see that again. And I don't know. I think that Kitamura did a fantastic job. I don't know that a director could come in and visually make it any better. They would just replicate it. Um Certainly, as you said, like Bradley Cooper is just kind of like a, a wet noodle. He's very bland. You know, maybe someone a little more exciting in the main role and, bo- and as the girlfriend, someone maybe a little more interesting would help. But otherwise, I don't see any way to build on to it. I mean, unless they come at it from like
0: obviously what has been going on in recent kind of years with this real push behind like social media conspiracy
1: kind of Mm.
0: um i guess they could go down that line
1: wait a minute are you suggesting moving away from the brilliant source material is that what you're saying saying?
0: that's why i said reboot and not remake
1: (laughs) (laughs) because i cannot get behind (laughs) bastardizing clive barker um,
0: yeah, but I do think that Vinny Jones was really good in this role. Really? And I don't think anyone could
1: replace him. Yeah, no, yeah, that worked. He really worked in yeah. that in that role. Yeah. I liked it.
0: Yeah, I could see them trying to push someone like Dave Batista to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I just think Vinny Jones. But he really reminded me of like a like a a West End London gangster. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he was kind of like a thug mixed with this real authoritarian. Like, it was really, he was intense. It was good.
0: Yeah, I will give, there was a moment that made me gag a little bit is when he's cutting off those skin growths
1: Mm. off
0: off his chest. And Mm. I gagged a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, the gore was kind of in your face. It was, (laughs) you know, it was there. But like you said, some of it got cheesy. Again, it felt video game-ish to me, but I liked that. I liked the video game quality of it.
0: Um, so would you recommend Midnight Meat Train to horror fans
1: yes absolutely absolutely I would Yeah, I think it's a fun movie I've seen it a couple times and I always enjoy it
0: yeah I'd go with that as well it's fun like if you want to see Vinnie Jones in a horror film then go for it Mm -hmm. but don't expect too much from Bradley Cooper
1: no He kind of blends in with the wallpaper. He's not doing anything interesting. But again, I don't find him interesting ever. So that that doesn't surprise me or put me off at all. Yeah,
0: I'd be of the same opinion there. (laughs) Um, So I guess we're kind of moving on to the big one then. Of course, we couldn't do Clive Barker without doing um, Hellraiser, which is based on his 1986 novella, The Hellbound Heart.
1: unlike anything you have witnessed is born because within these walls the unholy is unleashed
0: um it is his directorial debut mm-hmm. and it revolves around um this guy called Frank, who buys a puzzle box. And he, when he solves the puzzle, he gets ripped by chains and taken to the underworld by the Cenobites, kind of headed by Pinhead. Um, and Frank's brother Larry then moves into the house where Frank was and brings his wife. And it turns out his wife, um, Julia, was having an affair with Frank. And she, um, one day goes into the attic and discovers that Frank is there in some form and he mm-hmm. wants her to help restore his body and to resurrect mm-hmm. him. So she has to go and pick up men and bring them back to the attic where Frank can feed off them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kirsty, who is Julia's stepdaughter... Um, finds out that Frank is there and she steals the puzzle box and obviously comes into contact with the Cenobites and she has to get them to Frank before they take her. Um, so yes, that that is basically
1: mm-hmm. it for
0: Hellraiser. So obviously you're a fan of Hellraiser.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> I could go on and on and on. I love it. I love I think it's brilliant. Well, first, it's so 80s. When you watch it. (laughs) It
0: so is. Julia is the epitome of 80s.
1: Oh, my God. Her hair gets bigger with every person she kills. It's (laughs) so beautiful. And Clive Barker actually wanted her to be the center of the Hellraiser series. But everybody loved Pinhead so much that it became sort of a Pinhead story. Um, And that's what's brilliant about Hellraiser is that he, I hate the, I hate the idea of like, creating worlds and world-making. I hate that like terminology, but he did. He created this mythology, but he kept it just loose enough that there was room for sequels. There was room to grow with it. He didn't... As a writer, it's hard. Sometimes you try to nail everything down and to define everything, and then you paint yourself in a corner. And he gave us just enough. Like We understand the Cenobites enough. We understand that they... Are about, you know, extreme experiences, and they they really have this. They don't understand the difference between pleasure and pain. They they, um, they look awesome. They're wearing these gar- this garb that's like the cross between a Catholic cowl and a BDSM costume. I mean, we get enough. We understand enough about them that he doesn't give us too too much, and it allows so much flexibility for this series, but. This one is just, I have to tell you, the biggest jump scare I had in this rewatching it was at the very end when Kirstie's with her boyfriend and he gallantly takes off his jacket to put it across her shoulders. And he's wearing the most 1980s shirt in the history of the world. It's like the entire decade just melded together into a piece of fabric. And I literally went, (laughs) Oh my God, when when I saw the shirt. It was so, so 1980s. Too, too much.
0: <laughs> so eight you know, it's scary.
1: <laughs> for this one, I you asked about like my reading of Midnight Meat Train. For this one, I see a really weird. Like the Sonabites are called the Order of the Gash, and they're not to touch the box. No one's to touch the box. I see a very anti-vagina reading in this one. A very you know masculine. Let's stay away from women. Julie is the bad guy. I mean, Clyde's not, he's not a prude by any sense of the word. He actually wanted, okay, so the Frank and Julia love scene. First of all, Frank is disgusting. He called, he's like, come to daddy, to Julia. And then he uses the same words with his niece. So we, that's all we need to know about Frank, like uncle bad Cup. But their sex scene, Clyde Barker wanted it to be very explicit. He wanted it to be explicit in the sense that we realized she was being sodomized. And he wanted Frank to be spanking her, but the NPAA said, you're only allowed to spank twice. The third spank is obscene. So yeah, really, I don't know why. So the, um, like the censors were the ones who wanted that knife put in there instead, which was so weird and rapey. Like he holds a knife to her and it, it doesn't make any sense why she's so obsessed with him. The way they, they redid the sex scene. Yeah.
0: That's, that's so weird. Like, why would they, why is that any better?
1: Than- well, I mean, the knife comes up later. It's the same knife yeah. that he like, ends up stabbing Julia with and stuff. But yeah, but it's like that to me, the knife actually, like I stopped from it. I was like, Wait, what, what's he doing? Why is he holding a knife to her? Like that to me is not kinky fun. That's threatening. And why is she so into this guy who did that? That's, you know, it just didn't, that kind of took me out of it a little bit.
0: Yeah, I kind of felt bad for Julia because, you know, it kind of seems like she's very dependent on Larry in kind of mm. like to give her a homestead and money. Uh, we never get a sense of, you know, whether she has a career or what she really does. Um, and then she becomes this, you know, uh, submissive, almost to frank Mm -hmm. She has to carry out all his dirty work. And, you know, I could kind of see where Barker was going with trying to make her an antagonist. But she just wasn't, she's not bad enough. She's just very, um, just very vulnerable. She's a very vulnerable character. Mm -hmm. And I really felt for her.
1: (laughs) Well, she's very 1980s woman. Yeah. She is very 1980s. She's just kind of like, the whole movie is her walking very slowly up a staircase. Yeah. And going into a room. And then, again, walking walking past the stained glass window very slowly. And then walking into a room. So, yeah, she doesn't feel threatening, unlike Pinhead, yeah. who, you know, when you first see him, her, whatever, is kind of sexless Pinhead. Yeah. But whenever you see it, it, it really kind of takes you back, especially back then. I mean, this, this movie was... Very graphic in terms of violence for the time. This was like torture porn. This was really, really intense for the 80s. We weren't used to this much, you know, people getting ripped apart and stuff. And now it kind of looks a little silly. And in the end, totally looks like Power Rangers or something with everybody, <laughs> like, floating. Um, but at the time, it was really intense. I think
0: even now, like, like, like I said, I watched this, like maybe last year, maybe the year before, and I was still actually, you know, I have a story about the first time I ever watched Hellraiser. I took my son to the playground and I was really bored and I sat there and watched Hellraiser on my phone. (laughs) I don't know whether that makes me parent of the year or not, but, you know. Um, (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) We've So, but even when I first watched it, I was really impressed with the visual effects and the practical effects. Mm. Like, it's just something that gets me. Like, I love seeing that. And I loved, like, when Frank is just this sinewy kind of makeup of muscle and nerves. Mm. Like, it's so intricate and interesting and Mm -hmm. that blew me away like I loved that um and I also like I don't I hate saying this I don't 100% get the film but I really like the Cenobites and the way they Mm -hmm. look and Mm -hmm. um when I was a kid and we used to go to the video store they had a massive cutout of Pinhead and it scared the crap out of me yeah it was so scary and all I could like see were like the the pin the nails coming out of his face and it really freaked me out and he's Mm -hmm. still really freaky just that like blank black stare Mm -hmm. and all the pins in like perfect parallel grids it's just it's still
1: freaky (laughs) yeah it is absolutely it still is and when i was re-watching it my husband walked in the room when frank was in one of his evolutions (laughs) He was like you know he was really kind of disturbed just walking by the TV. He wasn't even watching it. So, yeah, it's still visually impressive Yeah. today.
0: Yeah. Um, So what do you think the Cenobites kind of represent? Because obviously Barker comes from like a gay community, so there's lots of like S&M leather Mm -hmm. kind of uh, reflections in that. And also they also say that they're not, you know, they've been called, demons and they've also been called angels and right but what do you think they represent in this context
1: well I think that's important I think they are both demons and angels and I think it's this 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 dot this desire for more and more extreme I mean that was that's how we're introduced to Frank's character he's looking for something more he you know he's engaging in different kinds of sex with groups and individuals and whatever. And he's looking for a more extreme experience. He's looking for, you know, just to kind of like be out there. Um, and, you know, I think that's what it is. I think they exist in this gray area between angel and devil, between pleasure and pain. Um, Clive Barker, some people see Hellraiser as being anti-masturbation. Uh, But as I said, Clyde Barker's no prude. And I feel he's more about exposing an audience to... Like, he wanted um, sodomy and spanking and stuff in the film. I think in in his books, if you read his stories, uh, the sex scenes are are quite detailed, quite vivid. And and sometimes I'm even like, can people do that? Like, I'm reading the book and going, wait a minute. I don't know if that's even... Okay, Uh, But I think that's his point. I think he's really exposing people to the extremes, extreme horror, extreme sex. Like I said in the beginning, reading him for the first time was like listening to punk rock for the first time. It's this, there's no rules. It's just be as extreme and be as out there as you can be and embrace it all. Like, understand it all and and don't judge it. Just just watch it.
0: Yeah, I kind of got the same, like vibe that it's on one part it's kind of about the duality of people that Mm -hmm. you know like the angels and demons thing is that everyone has a light and dark side and you should explore both sides without Mm -hmm. judgment as long as it's you know not hurting people but Mm -hmm. um yeah and it just felt like there's these two extremes of people one way or the other and you should kind of accept both Um, Mm -hmm. and kind of give yourself over to the pleasure of exploring both you know poles of yourself basically
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I don't know if that makes any sense
1: no you actually said that you said better what I was trying to say (laughs) thank you (laughs) that's what I was trying to say but you just articulated it better
0: um so what do you think is Hellraiser's influence on horror going forward
1: I mean, honestly, Clive Barker has established his place in the Pantheon. I have friends that to this day, if you go, Candyman, Candyman, they start freaking out. Like they can't, they, they're almost in tears. Like don't summon him, don't summon him. And, I, and Hellraiser's the same way. Like we, Pinhead is a part of our culture. It's an iconic image. Hellraiser's a part of our culture. You, if you are a horror fan, you know Clive Barker. You know these movies. And if, if you're a horror fan like me, you've also read, you know, what he's written. He He's such a big influence on horror writers and horror filmmakers. You know, I mean, I would say for myself as a writer, he definitely had a huge impact on me. And I know many other writers will name him, you know, where it's like Stephen King, Clive Barker. Like their names are just synonymous for it. And, and so this, I mean, there was that recent reboot of it, which I really enjoyed. Some people did not, but I really enjoyed the reboot. Um, and I enjoyed having a woman be Pinhead. I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, but I think, I think we're going to see Pinhead cropping up again and again and again. I think people are going to dress like Pinhead for Halloween for decades. I, I just, I think it's now an established part of our horror lexicon.
0: Do you think that Clive Barker brought the extreme side of horror into the mainstream, Um, almost as if perhaps Hellraiser and Clive Barker himself is like the origin story of what we now know as torture porn?
1: Yes. Absolutely, and and again, I also credit Stephen King. I don't think Clive Barker. I think Clive Barker would have gotten attention anyway. He's brilliant. If you're brilliant, people notice you. But Stephen King announcing and that quote was everywhere in the early '80s. It was everywhere. I've seen the future of horror, and his name is Clive Barker, and that made all of us go, "Wait a minute, who?" And you know, and grab um, the books of blood grab Hellbound Heart, like we all started reading it. Um, And then they did documentaries together where, you know, Stephen, like, you know, the world of horror and it would be Stephen King. And then he would sort of introduce Clive Barker and Clive is cute as a button. So that didn't hurt. Um, And he was lovely and British and everything. So I think, um, yeah, I think what we're seeing today definitely in in terms of torture porn Definitely Clive influenced that. Absolutely he did.
0: Yeah, I would go so far as to say that as well and kind of almost like almost like titulating like the horror crowd saying like I guess it goes back to like exploring your dualities, but being like you know, if you look at this kind of thing, you think like, Oh, you're gross, you're disgusting, what kind of twisted pervert mm-hmm. are you? but it's so enjoyable at the same time like mm-hmm. you know i i love extreme horror and mm. it's it's almost like clive was kind of be like you shouldn't feel guilty about loving this kind of extreme and i guess mm. that kind of reflects with stuff like torch porn or extreme horror um so i definitely would see him as like the daddy <laughs> although i'm sure he'd love being called the daddy the daddy of uh, of a uh, torch porn <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I was going to ask you about the remake. So um, I actually enjoyed the remake. I oh, thought, good. Was, Or the reboot. I kind of thought it was, a, you know, it was a good way to kind of bring it into, you know, modern day mm-hmm. and what's going on. And, you know, just like the reboot of Candyman, I, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I know it got a bit of a hard time, but like... Mm-hmm. It was still following on with the root of the original Hellraiser, but it just took it into a modern era.
1: Absolutely. And I liked the addiction subplot. I thought that was a really nice, you know, I mean, we see that with Frank in in a sense in the first Hellraiser, but it's not really, it's more that he's like a cad. Whereas in the reboot, the addiction, the drug addiction, and is a big part of what's going on. And it, and again, it it's exactly what you're talking about about like exploring the extremes. I really liked that addition. I thought the actress who was the main character, I, I liked her. You know, I liked the that her brother got pulled away, and he was always her savior, so she has to save him. I, I really enjoyed. It. Like I said, I liked Pinhead being more female looking, more feminine looking in this version.
0: Yeah. And I like the way they kind of, they brought about like different looking Cenobites as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed, again, I really enjoyed the creature design of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and the costumes were good. Like the outfits they wore yeah. and stuff they were good.
0: Yeah. Um. So what do you think is the future for Hellraiser?
1: Well, like I said, it's open so much. He left it so open to so many ways you could go with it. Um, I don't think we're done by any means. I think we're going to continue to see Hellraiser. It's a popular franchise, people love it. And I think, like you said, they're going to keep playing on what we're dealing with at the time and what, and, and it might depend on where it's being filmed like a Barker's um, production company is filming in California and he's in California. It might touch on some of the issues in the United States with the polarization of politics and all that kind of stuff. Or if he's doing a more British kind of a thing, then he might ignore that and go with the different Prince Harry and and Meghan Markle. I don't know. I don't know what the issues are in in England right now. Beyond that. Yeah.
0: I think the Mark of such a good series or such a good um, kind of like um, antagonists, or is that you can transport it into mm-hmm. like whatever is happening? Whereas I feel like, although I love a lot of characters, and I'm gonna say a really controversial, but with the most recent Texas Chainsaw reboot,
1: mm-hmm. I just
0: don't, f- I just don't feel like they could transport Leatherface into modern day and it worked. Whereas I think when you take something like Candyman or the Cenobites and Hellraiser, it works transporting it into a different era with different problems. Um, And I think that's quite a good mark of, you know, if a character can still be relevant and scary, Mm -hmm. you know, how many years? I still think the 80s is like 10 years ago, and it's not, is it? It's like 40 at this point.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so if oh. you if you can still transport a character 40 years down the line and it's still just as relevant like that's the mark of a really well rounded
1: mm-hmm.
0: kind of uh universe basically
1: like our beloved count dracula or frankenstein's monster like we see these characters still over and over and over again and we still enjoy them and there's a lot of flexibility with them. There's a lot of ways you can play with them. And I, I think, again, I think Clive created that and, and uh, he's absolutely brilliant. Is it clear to, will it be clear to listeners that I really like Clive Barker? Is anybody gonna be confused? <laughs> I love Clive Barker. Let, let's be sure everybody walks away understanding there's no there's no gray area here. I worship Clive Barker. And this is why, because he is able to create these characters that we can play with for decades and not get bored with them
0: so i take it you'd recommend hellraiser to horror oh, fans i think you
1: have to again it's not for the faint of heart i think be forewarned that it is graphic people are getting pulled apart it's not you know with the hooks and it's it's not pleasant um but i think if you are a horror fan you cannot go through life without Having watched Hellraiser, like that's that's shameful.
0: Yeah, like although I didn't connect to it or relate to it, I still think that everyone should watch Hellraiser.
1: I don't know. You sound a little more positive about it than I think you think.
0: Maybe, maybe sitting here and like dissecting it and going through it out loud is helping kind of sort it out in my brain. <laughs> is that so mythology? Out of the two which films she does then, do in other books and in other series? Recommend over the um, other. other?
1: You know, look at that. See what he does with <laughs> I that. Do. But then the urban horror of Midnight Meat Train, which is what he does in Candyman, and what he does in some other things as well. Um, you know, that's a that's another side to him. That's a more uh, there's more closure in that world, and you need to see that too. I mean i i would I would not want you to skimp on either. What about you? Do you Prefer you might prefer Hellraiser, right? I know. Okay, well, I just like ignore him. I don't know. I don't even like see him somehow. Like I so said, you could put anybody in there, and I'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. Doesn't matter. I just I ignore him in general. I find him very smug, so I just. Don't look at him. Um, <laughs> Somehow I'm
0: even yeah, blinders on. Yeah. And just I just I couldn't. <laughs> I just can't get a Bradley Cooper.
1: Well, they just did—not well, just—it was about two years ago. They did the Books of Blood, and it was it's pretty hard good.
0: Hard to ignore that. Um, is
1: just, the Great and Secret Show fit. would be interesting. <laughs> the Thief—was it called The Thief of Nowhere? The Thief of—am I saying that right? It's almost like a kid's book. And oh god, that was so good. That would be that could be adapted really, really well. Um, They could be really great. What
0: other Clive Barker work would you like to see adapted?
1: Thank you for letting me rant and rave about Clive Barker. Well, my website is elainepascal.com. I am at Doc Laney on Twitter and
0: Yeah, all I have um, to go Insta, in is actually like I Nine Breed. TikTok. I mean, they had the film. Of like, and I'm Elaine apparently Pascal. Apparently there was talks of Facebook. it being a TV show. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and chatting, Clive Barker. <laughs> um, so if people would like to find you on social media, where can they do so? So that was my chat there with Elaine Pascal about Clive Barker and two adaptations of his stories. Uh, The first one, The Midnight Meat Train from 2008, directed by Ryuhei Kitamura. And the second one was, of course, his classic uh, Hellraiser from 1987, directed by himself. By Clive Barker. Um, So let me know what you think of Clive Barker. Are you a fan? Are you a fan of his movie adaptations? Do let me know over at Twitter at what underscore scream or on Instagram what a scream. Um, Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, I hope everyone has checked out Evil Dead Rise by now because it has been killing me that I haven't been able to talk to anybody for weeks about this film because nobody else had seen it. So. I went to see it again last Friday, um, and I'm just as obsessed with it the second time round. Absolute, I I think it's gonna be my number. I'm like obviously this is so premature because it's April or May by the time this episode goes out. I honestly believe it might be my film of 2023. Um, loved it, absolute loved it. Um, and yes, as I said in the introduction, this is the hundredth episode, and here's hopefully to a hundred more maybe. Uh, Also going out this week is the April. Well, it was meant to be April, but again, it, yeah, I was a bit late on this one. Uh, But Yes, also going out this week is Movies Murder and Mayhem. Um, myself and my co-host Ruby will be chatting about The Warrens. So if you would like to know the true story behind such films as The Conjuring and uh, The Enfield Poltergeist and Amityville Horror House and uh, Haunted in Connecticut, then go listen to our episode about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, and don't forget to stay horrific. Goodbye.